If you guys can, we're going to be turning um, in our Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. This is a standalone uh, sermon series today. This is not part of any particular series. This is just uh, a focus on the new year. The title of the sermon is 2024, Beginning Again. Beginning Again. Uh, when the Lord put it on my heart to preach out of Haggai, at first I was like, really, Lord? This isn't one of those, like, you know, inspirational ones that I think of off the top for 2024, but the message, nonetheless, is powerful. It's all about spiritual renewal by, pri- by uh, putting a perception of priorities of what the Lord is doing in your life. And so what I want to put this out to you is, if you are in a position where you feel like you have stalled spiritually, Like, you know the Lord, you love the Lord, but you don't feel like what's happening in your life is representative of what you think God wants in your life, but you don't know how to get to that next place. This is the verse for you. And I'm pretty sure, and I can say this with 101% guarantee, we've all been there at one place at one time. I want to let you know that the real uh, timeless message that we want to take hold of in our hearts in this particular passage is that when we need a fresh start, when we need to begin again, the best way to take that first step is to renew our commitment to the calling of the Lord, which has never changed. It's never changed. God never changes. His calling on your life has never changed. And so, you know, what we can do is we can step into this place. What happens to be the result is spiritual rejuvenation. I'm going to say this in this particular way, not Calvary Chapel, Sebastian. Can the church, can God's church use spiritual rejuvenation? 100%. And you know where that takes place first? In our hearts. And it takes on our hearts and our commitment to Christ. So that's what we want to do. So before I get too deep and heavy, because you're like, wow, Joey, like I thought this was going to be a motivational speech today for 2024. I'll, I'll go a little bit lighter and then we'll, we'll go into the text. Let me give you just a, a perspective of like, when you don't see what the thing could do, you don't see what the plan is, but you know in the end your life has changed forever, even though you didn't have the vision. I'm going to give you a couple things. 10, 15 years ago, We never heard of these things, but they changed our life forever. This one's personal for me, Instacart. Changed my, I praise God every day for Instacart. I do not like going into the grocery store and fighting people for sales or, you know, bins or coupons or anything like that. I like it all digital. Let me tell you why. I have two little boys. And when they get in the car and they go to the grocery store with me, or let me give you one better, a Walmart super center. I got to get bananas and batteries. That's all I got to, in and out, in and out, right? No, not with two little boys. We got to touch everything. We got to talk about everything. No, not with Instacart or curbside pickup. I can pull right up. We don't have to touch anything. I open up the back. The guys throw it in there and see you later. 10 minutes, 10 minutes, we're done. Praise Jesus in the most high. (laughs) It didn't take us three hours past the toy aisle to get to the bananas. Like, amen. So that has changed my life forever. But 10, 15 years ago, we weren't thinking about that. How about iPads or iPhones? 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have those things. You know what's crazy? It's amazing to me, even though I don't love my cell phone, I love having everything in one spot. My calendar, you know, everything that I need to do, my to-do list. I message my wife back and forth. Like, you know how you're checking out of the grocery store? Oh, did you get milk? You're already into the car. You're like, oh, I gotta go back. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the instant messaging on there, all that. But also, too, it's crazy, too. What else is the iPhone? Heaven forbid you lose it because all of the family pictures are on there. It's everything we need in one spot. But it has given us a blessing. In the beginning, we may not have seen the vision, but in the end, the result has been valuable. 
Let me give you another one. This is an interesting story. I was reading in the New Yorker uh, magazine about this guy in England who was a tech guru. He was a computer guy. And he got involved in something called internet money, Bitcoin. Have you guys heard of this? So this is like a thing, a phenomenon that's happening in our world. But when we're going back to like, I believe it was 2008, 2009, he looked at it as a novelty. He bought a ton of Bitcoin because it was worth pennies. It was pennies, right? So he got like thousands of Bitcoin, thousands of Bitcoin. Not a big deal at the time because it was worth pennies. But what had happened is him and his uh, partner were in their office and he accidentally spilled lemonade on the computer. So he yanked the hard drive out to save it. He threw it in a drawer. Well, time goes by. He had forgotten about Bitcoin. He'd forgotten about the, the laptop. But they had, you know, I'm going to go on vacation. I better clean my office before going on vacation. Well, him and his partner grabbed their, the hard drive and they threw it in the trash because it was nothing but video games on there. That was until he got back from vacation and he started to look on the internet. Bitcoin is no longer worth pennies. It's worth dollars. And he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, There's, I got thousands of Bitcoins. There's thousands of dollars on that hard drive. So he goes to his partner, hey, hey, where did you put the hard drive? And she was like, we threw it in the trash. So where's the trash? Oh, it's out by the bin by the road because today's trash day. He runs as fast as he can to get over to the trash. Guess what? Garbage truck had already come. So what does he do? Thousands of dollars. It's worth it for me to jump in the car and blaze over to the, the landfill dump. He gets there. Oh, sir, you don't have authority to come in here. But you don't understand. I have a hard drive worth thousands of dollars. Oh, sorry. We don't even know what you're talking about. What you sound sounds like crazy voodoo magic. Nobody, nobody, has, nobody has internet coins on a hard drive. We have no idea. He goes, like, you, believe me, I'm a tech guru. There's thousands of dollars. So then he goes to City Hall, and he explains it to City Hall, and they give him the same look that the people at the landfill give him. They go, what are you talking about? This isn't real. He goes, it's very real. And by the time he had got through meeting after meeting, and not only were we worth $1 per Bitcoin, it was now worth 10 now $100 per Bitcoin. So now it's gone up even more. And so he's begging them and begging them, and they go, no, it's not safe for you to go rooting down through a landfill. If something happens to you, it's on us. It's our responsibility. He goes, no, trust me, I will sign a waiver. It's on me. They say no. He then goes and finds a forensic team. This is a forensic team that does crimes, like big things, like international murders, right? This is over in Europe. They said that they can find a gun inside of a truck, inside of a vault in the ground. And he, they, he says, can you help me find this hard drive? And they said, yes, if you split the, the winnings or the earnings with us. And he goes, well, I don't have anything now, so it's worth it, yes. So he brings them to City Hall. Look at how hard he's working, right? He brings them to City Hall. He has a PowerPoint. He has the team come up, and the City Hall says, no, no, thank you. Until he comes back and sets another meeting and advises them, it's no longer worth 1.8 million. It's now worth 280 million. And the city says, you willing to split that three ways? Maybe we might be into digging into the landfill with you. Let me say this, if it's worth it. Let me just tell you something I learned about myself. I would be willing to go digging through the garbage for $280 million. I found that out about myself by the end of the article. I was like, Joey, this is kind of shocking. I'm getting mad at City Hall. I'm getting mad at this guy. I'm like, why wouldn't you break in there at night? There's $280 million just sitting under trash. Go get it. But let me just say this. Is that as valuable as this? Let me say this. Who here is going to heaven because Jesus Christ has given you everything? 
How much more eternal weight is that over some internet coin? The idea is this, that God hasn't even asked us to go digging through the garbage, and yet the promises of God are right in front of us, and we don't even reach out. Look how hard this guy searched for something of value to him because of how much weight it had on us. How much hard should we be working for the kingdom of God when the promises of God are just this easy? Reach out and take what the Lord has given you. And that is this passage today. When you are going through this passage, I want to encourage you in this way. I want you to hear what the Lord is putting on your heart for 2024. What has God done in your life? Where have you spiritually stalled? And where do you need to keep going with the Lord? Join me in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. And actually, before I go to that, I want to just put this one thing up on the screen. This is where God is going to offer you a new beginning with eternal permanence. It starts with this. Obedience to God brings about everlasting change here on earth and in heaven. Did you know your obedience will move things in your life to eternal permanence? I want you to give you that idea. When you do the things that you do in your life, all of your actions will be brought before the Lord and the things that don't matter will be cast into a fire and burned up and the things that do matter will be like precious metal, will be melted down and brought before the Lord like a crown. How many things in your life will bring that kind of glory and honor to the Lord. I want you to see, remember we went through the book of John, I want you to see Jesus' words to the Father God. Jesus is our model for life. He says these words, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This is, Father, this is Jesus Christ the Son speaking to the Father. I have brought you glory. I want you to think of how amazing the glory of God is. I have brought you glory by being obedient and finishing the work you gave me to do. You know what the glory of God is? You know what partially the glory of God is? Everybody in this room that's going to see eternity. The, the God of heaven, the God that's on a throne, the God of eternity, the God that is a creative force of this world, the God who speaks and things happen. Let there be light. Let, let dead men be raised up. That God is now taking up residence in your heart, and that is the glory. How much more eternal weight, how much more eternal value does that have than anything we could hold in our hands here on earth? And the Lord is saying, Jesus is saying this, bring yourself to everlasting change in your life by putting the value on what God values. Now, join me in verse one, chapter one of Haggai. Look at what it says here. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, to son of Shetil, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I just want to stop here and give you a little heads up. Anytime as the Lord designates himself as the Lord Almighty, I want to put in perspective the title that he's giving himself. It's closer. It's not quite the same, but it's closer to a general. When a general steps out on the battlefield, does everybody listen? Yeah, there's nobody, oh, but no, no, thank you. No, no. When the general speaks, the army moves. This is what he's saying. I'm in charge. Look what he says when he says I'm in charge. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Kind of a fascinating verse. Can you ever tell God when things are a time for? God's like, it's time. No, it's not time, God. I need to sleep in a little bit longer. I hit snooze. No, who can tell God what to do? It's not time, Lord. No, it's not time. I'm God. You're not. You're going to tell me. You're a finite creature. You don't even know what's going to happen in the next one second, let alone the next 10 seconds, and you're going to tell me what to do. But I'm going to give you a quick history lesson before we beat up the Israelites too quick. This is happening in the time of Haggai the prophet. 
And uh, this is post-Daniel. So this is after the Jews have been released from their uh, slavery underneath Babylon. The Persians have come in and have released the Jews to go back to their homeland. Um, I'll let you know how powerful this moment is. This is a moment that was predicted in Isaiah 150 years before. And there was a man that was going to come from Persia. His name is Cyrus. And the Jews showed him the prophecy in Isaiah. And Cyrus said, your God talked about me? That's amazing. I love when people talk about me. You know what? I love the Jews. Go back home. He was just tickled pink that another God would prophesy about him. And so he released him. Could the Jews have ever seen that? No, I, I want to set the precedent for you. First of all, Babylon wasn't even a superpower at that time. Could they have seen that? No, Persia wasn't a superpower. It would be like this. New Jersey beat up the rest of America and took over. Nobody's going to see that coming. Nobody's going to see that coming. And then out of nowhere, it was like, oh, by the way, you know, the tiny island of Bermuda took over America. Nobody saw that coming, but the Bible predicted it. And it happened just as God had said. And now the people of Israel are moving back into the promised land just as God had said. I want you to hear what I'm saying. As God has said. And now they've reached this land and now they're Jews in their promised land. And there's only one thing that's missing now that they're back where they should be. The temple. To understand for a Jewish person, especially in their daily life, even in their religious walk and their ceremonies, the temple is everything. It's the place where the Shekinah glory, the spirit of the Lord would come down. It's what separated them from the rest of the earth. What made them a different country? God's presence in their temple. And so what they need to do is they've been released from Babylon, Persia to come back and build the temple, except they've hit a snag. There's enemies in the land. There's things that are happening right here, right now that we can't build the temple because we run into these problems. Problems that probably, let's just say, in hindsight, spoiler alert, do you think God knew about it? But the Jews didn't know about it at that time and now they're getting discouraged because they can't build this temple. But that's what they know they desperately need to do. So then they make a petition to build the temple back to a new king who is now taken over, except this new king is not like Cyrus. He doesn't have the same love and affinity for the Jews. And so the enemies of God start doing court cases. They actually sue the Jews and say, he, they cannot build this temple because this is our land. And the king actually honors that. He goes, this is the law of the land and we can't build it. If you want to do some research after, go back and read Nehemiah and Ezra. Spoiler alert, they build the temple. Because who has the final say? And that is what the Lord is saying. Who are these people to say the time has not come? I want to let you know, if you're in this particular place, you cannot just tighten up and go, maybe God's abandoned us or maybe this isn't God's time. You have to ask God, what is your timing? You can't look at the circumstances and say, the circumstances have said, the situation has said, the storm has said, what has God said? That is what this verse is saying right now. Now, this is what they do. They do what all immigrants do in a situation where they can't flourish where they're at. They tighten up into a little community. You know what they're doing when they tighten up? They're not stepping out in faith. They kind of shrink back from the world and they shrink back from society and they're not stepping forward and building what God has promised, but they did it for 16 years. Now, I just to let you know, can we be discouraged today? Can we hear from the Lord? Can we believe God, but not move forward? And can we feel discouraged because the government might be against us or the city is against us or our neighbors are against us or our families against us or our health is against us, but has the Lord had his final say? And so the Lord is saying this, I want to put this perspective out to you, and this is the question. Why would, like Israel, Israel's been delivered from slavery by God, called by name, brought into the promised land, why would God stop now? Why would God stop now? 
Why would this be too difficult for God now? Question for you. Why would God save you from the jaws of hell? Why would he deliver you from sin? Why would he resurrect you from spiritual death back to life just to stop now? Has he not already done the heavy lifting? What is this against all the other things that you've already faced in your life, including death and hell? And so the Lord is saying, be guided by we still the same. Jesus has not changed. The Lord has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is for you. He is not against you. And he is working with you. But look what the Lord says to get them back on track in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains, while this house remains in ruin? And what he's basically talking about, he's talking about the other house in ruin is the house of the Lord. I don't know if you remember, I, I looked at some old pictures of my mom's. Um, she had these photo albums out. Like I said, we, everything's on an iPhone. It was crazy to see a photo album out, right? And flipping through it. I could not believe how many wood paneling there was in the 80s. And the 70s, like, was like everything wood paneled? Like, even cars were wood paneled in the 70s and 80s. Like, that's not a great idea to put wood on the side of a gasoline mobile, right? You know? But here we are, we have all wood paneling, and that's what the Lord is saying. Not quite wood paneling. He's actually saying something closer to this. Why did I call you back to do the work of the Lord? You've abandoned the work of the Lord, but all you're doing is beautifying the inside of your house. You, you're, you're, what he's saying is this, why are you so busy beautifying your life, but you haven't touched the work of the Lord? You haven't touched the kingdom of God. You wouldn't be in Israel if it wasn't for the work of the Lord. You wouldn't be delivered from slavery if it wasn't for the work of the Lord. You and I are in this together for life. That's what the Lord is saying. And so the Lord is saying, this is kind of a weird situation. It's kind of awkward and weird that I called you to come back and you think that the enemies of God are gonna stop me now. Let me give you just a personal illustration of what this might kind of look like in our lives today. I ran in, by the way, this, this story is not commentary about how people choose to live their life medically, but I was at um, the grocery store after COVID. Remember COVID? There was a time where um, we were getting up early, 6.30 in the morning and having Facebook videos and you saw tired pastors preaching to you from their living rooms and trying to keep it together. And then we got together and we were in this room, but we were spaced apart and we had masks on. And then eventually we got together and we had no masks, right? And we're here in regular life. Well, I saw this person not right after COVID, years after COVID. And I see him at the grocery store and we're in line. It's one of those days where the grocery store line goes all the way back through the frozen section It's so far. And there's people never going, like I said, Instacart, blessings of God. But here I was, I was stuck in line and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. Somebody's writing a check up in the front. It's just the worst. And this, this person comes up against me and I go, hey, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you doing? How's everything going to go? Oh, I'm sorry I haven't been at church. I've just been so, I, just, I can't be around crowds. I'm looking up the dials, grocery store. Everybody's carts are bumping into everybody. And I said, hey, are you okay? And they said, yeah, I'm just really afraid of big crowds. And they dug in their purse and they pulled out their mask to put it on to really emphasize that point. I'm not making commentary on the mask, but I want to say this. What is there? Don't answer to me. Answer to the Lord. Where are you at? I said, okay, that's all right. You have to make decisions for your health and you have to protect yourself. Understand that I love you and God loves you. And guess what? You can find the sermons online. That's great. Just let you know we're praying for you. Wasn't but a couple of weeks later, my wife and I were at a restaurant and at the restaurant on the other side, there was a big stage where they had a rock concert, right? And all these people, when the music started, ran from their tables and ran up to this little rock concert, like a local thing, no big deal. And I'm, I'm sitting there eating. I'm trying to watch a, a football game as I'm eating my wings. I'm like, oh, turn this band off. I want to hear the game. But I look over and I go, I know the back of that head. I've seen, I've seen that hair before. And I walk over there and I go, hey, how you doing? And they turned around white. I mean, just, ooh. 
I'm good. How are you doing? And I said, I'm glad to see that you got over that thing about being in big crowds. And I said, when can we expect to see you in church service? And they said, you don't understand. I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. I just want to put this in perspective. I'm not here to pick on that person, but it's an issue and a perspective of priorities, isn't it? Has the word of the Lord ever changed for the church? Has the word of the Lord even changed for this person? And have they made themselves too busy for the work of the Lord because they're too busy working on themselves and not understanding what God is about to do in their life? I want to put this uh, verse on the screen for you so you kind of see what it means. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You got to ask yourself, are the things that you're doing in your life, they might not be sins, they might not be, even be bad, they might even be good things, but do they take priority over God? This is an important time to examine our hearts before the Lord and set the trajectory of not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives in this next year. We should determine this, am I willing to follow God's heart or am I willing to follow mine alone? You know, we were created for a special purpose. And every year I ask myself this in my devotional time. And so I'm going to share it with you. Maybe you could use this. I ask myself this, what was I created for? What was I created for? And so this is my answer this year. To bring glory to God by experiencing who God is because he's amazing. I can never show you how amazing God is unless I participate in the kingdom of God with him. I can never show you how great God is until I receive the good things of God, but you will never have that to give unless you experience it for yourself. You can't just know about God. You can't just believe God. You gotta step into the calling of the Lord. And sometimes it's not comfortable and sometimes it's not easy. Look at the Jews. They're frustrated. They're getting sued. They're getting pushed around, right? They're in the promised land and yet the temple's not being built and God's going, but, but my calling hasn't changed. Okay, but we're leaving Egypt, and now Israel, the Egyptians are right behind us. We're, we're going to the promised land, but there's a Red Sea, and there's a, uh, my calling's never changed. I'll split that Red Sea. Let's walk through it. Keep your eyes on the calling, not on the situation. The second question I ask is, are you becoming the glory of God? And I put this answer, yes, because his plans are incredible, and whether I realize it or not, I'm stepping into the gift. You know, have you ever seen those games where people put saran wrap around like a million gifts? And part of the game is you have to just keep stripping the saran back and you get a new gift until you get to the center, right? That's what the will of God is like. You never step into the will of God and find out it's terrible. It's like, we're, we're like, like a little bit of a mystery. We're tearing away and we're tearing away. But how many things do you know now that you didn't know the first day you became a Christian? How much more amazing is God now that you know what you know about him through the word, through his promises, and he became true. The man of God, the person of God that he promised to be became true in your heart and your life, but now you've hit a snag, a new level, a new problem, and you haven't seen this God before. Does that contain God? Does that stop God? Or is God about to reveal a new nature from him, from his word to you, because now with spiritual eyes you're being awakened? And so that's what the Lord is saying right now. Unwrap that gift. Now, let me tell you how the Lord gets you there if you're not there already. This is this next point. God is willing to frustrate you to wake you up. God is willing to frustrate you. Let me just say this. It's not a bother for God to bother you. Because think about this, with, through, his, through his eyes, he looks through the problem and sees the end result. Sometimes, have you ever hit a crisis and go, I wish I just could survive this? 
But on the other side, God goes, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive on the other side of this. Why? Because you'll be more reliant on me. And when we step into ministry together, who can stop us? Joey by himself, nothing. Joey with the Lord. Who can stop God in my life? I wouldn't be up here preaching the word of the Lord if it wasn't for God's investment in my life. But I wouldn't be here if I didn't rely on the Lord. He became my everything. The word that you're hearing today is not Joey. The word that you're hearing is how good is God? Now, we're gonna leave that slide up, but I want you to hear how God is willing to frustrate you. So trust him in the frustration. Look at verse five. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Isn't that just an awesome verse? I used to say, like, I don't know if I remember at one time we used to get paychecks, not direct deposit. I used to make this joke in front of my family. Like, I would get a paycheck, I put it in my hand and go, now fly away, little birdie. That's the only time I get to see you is on Friday for 10 seconds. Go, go be free and go to the bills, you know? That's what the Lord is saying here. He's like, you know what? I know you're frustrated. I know you're frustrated. And who you're complaining to is the person who's building the kingdom of God. Who can stop me? But let me ask you this. What is your spiritual order? Like if we had a totem pole of all the priorities of your life, what's number one? What's number one? All right, what's, is number one number one? Is who should be number one number one? Or is it something else? I like the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says, put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first and second things. Most pastors would say it this way, aim for earth or aim for heaven and get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and don't get either, right? I love, I'm an instigator and a pot stirrer with my kids. I like to antagonize them. It's just what dads do. It's how we raise our kids. I like to take them to the ice cream shop and I like to get them plain ice cream. And then I like to just stare at them. And I like to see that tension that builds in them because the ice cream's not complete, Dad. You can see like they get like oh, ice cream. They're like, wait a minute, there's no sprinkles. And then they look at the sprinkles and they look at the attendant. And then they look at me and they're like, look, and they're like, what's going on? This is not a good day unless I get these sprinkles. Dad, what are you doing? And I just sit there silently and just stare until they fidget. Dad, sprinkles. And I go, ma'am, put the sprinkles on the ice cream cone. Oh, Dad, you're the best. But what is this? Have you ever eaten sprinkles by themselves? They're blah. What is the sprinkles without the ice cream? What is a Christian asking God for all of these wants and desires? We don't even have the main course. We don't even have the good thing that the Lord has given us and the thing that we need. And we don't even know that we need it because we don't even know God's plan for our life. Uh, there's a, a great... Uh, way that Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, flip your totem pole, get your priorities right. What's first? Now, I want you to hear what the Lord is saying. He's being very clear in here. What he's not saying in this verse is every time that you give or every time that you donate your time or every time that you do something awesome for God that you're gonna get this awesome return check. There's not gonna be a rebate. God doesn't work on rebates or anything like that. It's not like you give to a mission trip and then all of a sudden you're gonna be rich. The Lord is saying, I want you to step out in faith and see what I have in store for you. When your money isn't your God, when your job isn't your God, when your kids are not your God, when your marriage is not your God, when the problems in your health are not your God, I'm your God, and what I say finally goes. And then you'll begin to actually be able to work in the kingdom of God because your eyes are on 
God and not on yourself. And this is how the Lord shapes us and grows us in our faith when we put our faith in him and not ourselves or that thing. This is what God is volleying right back to the Israelites. You know what they're saying? We had nothing left to give to the temple, Lord, because there was nothing to give. That's what he's saying right now. Or that's what the people of Israel are saying to God. We had nothing to give because there was nothing left over. And God is like getting an awesome ping pong shot right back. He goes, you have nothing to give because you haven't invested in the kingdom of God. The harvest comes when the Lord blesses the seed. And what the Lord is saying right here, and this is the challenging verse, is if you are in a place of strain, if you're in a place of frustration, if, you're, if the things in your life are not working out the way that you wanted them to work out, it could be because the Lord is frustrating you to look back and wake you up to something that you were previously asleep to. Maybe the biggest problem you have is that thing. And it's time to put God back in the priority. That thing can no longer be over the Lord. We call that idols. I will let you know as a personal experience, God has worked in my life this way. Most of the time when I'm in that frustrated place, I go to the Lord. I already know what he's going to say, but we have to have this confrontation anyways. And I go, Lord, why am I so frustrated? And he goes, you know why. This is why. And I go, yeah, I know. I just needed you to nudge me. He's not, he's not like veiled or mysterious. He pushes me out and I just needed that little nudge to go forward, which is why we're going to bring us to our next point. God will take away your contentment in the wrong things to point, your, to point you towards the right things. I want you to look at this, this last part of the last verse we read. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages, only put them in a purse with holes in it. You know what the Lord is saying? It's going to be a really funky place when you're stuck with this great appetite for this wrong thing, but you get no satisfaction. Guess who did that to you? I did that to you. You're going to find that out in here. It's going to put it to you this way. It's kind of amazing when you say this, you know, like, how could I be married to my soulmate but feel alone? How can I go on an expensive family vacation but everybody's disconnected? How about this one? This is a true story. How about, how can you be on a jet ski but crying? And then you're like, that's really weird. Who cries on a jet ski? Have you ever been on a jet ski? Bum, 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 like in the water. And there's all your problems leaving behind. Hit the waves going out. But I was there because I wasn't happy with life and I was contemplating suicide. It doesn't matter what kind of happiness is there if you don't have your satisfaction in the one who fills the hole in your heart and you have a God-sized hole in your heart that leads you into the kingdom of God and only God can fill it. Matt Damon is a great actor who won an Oscar for The Goodwill Hunting, and he says it so poignantly. He said the night that he won the Oscar, you understand these are young men. Him and Ben Affleck wrote this movie, Goodwill Hunting, to give themselves work. But on top of that, they won an Oscar, which is the highest achievement you can do in Hollywood, right? And he's here, a young man, and he's already achieving. He's holding the Oscar, and he gripped it. He said he gripped that thing all night. Didn't let anybody else hold it, right? It's mine. I won it. And he walked around to all the after parties, right? And then he made it to his hotel room and everybody's applauding him. It's great achievement for a young man to earn this. And he gets to the hotel room and he puts it on the desk and he sits in his chair and he watches the sun rise. He sat there and stared at it all night. And he says this statement. He says, I'm so glad that I won it at a young age so I could realize now that this is not everything. Because it didn't satisfy what the cravings of his heart really were. That's what the Lord is saying in this word. I want to give you another quote, and I want you to see how the Lord is saying it, especially to this guy, Zig Ziglar. Some of you guys have heard his name. Ziggy. He says this, money will buy a bed but not sleep. It doesn't matter how much memory foam you have underneath you. A good night's sleep comes with peace. Books but not brains. Don't look at our shelf in the pastor's office. Food but not appetite. Finery but not beauty. A house but not a home. That hurts, doesn't it? 
medicine but not health, luxuries but not culture, amusement but not happiness. How about this, religion but not salvation. It's pretty devout Christians that go to church every Sunday, but if they don't have Christ first. Look at this last part. A passport to everywhere but not heaven. The only reason that you will walk from here to eternity is because God loves you. His, he's your all in all. He is your everything. The only reason why you'll arrive to heaven is not look what I did in the kingdom of God, but look what the kingdom of God did in me. Look what Jesus Christ did in me. Look at who Jesus Christ was to me. Jesus Christ is my everything. That's the only reason I'm here. I want you to see how the Lord lays that out in verse seven. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Remember, guy in charge, Lord Almighty. He says, give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored says the Lord. I want you to hear how the Lord is saying it. My, my calling and my anointing on your life hasn't changed. Yeah, you've hit some speed bumps. Yes, you've hit some, some problems and walls. Not a big deal for me. Keep building the house of God. The enemies of God are no match for God. What giant can come up against God? All giants stand in the shadow of God. Yeah, but it's too big for me. It's not too big for him. It's not too big for him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's your health or your finances. What has the Lord declared for you to do in your life? Follow him. Look at verse nine. He says, you expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of the heavens, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought in the fields and the mountains on the grain, on the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all of the labor of your hands. I want you to hear what the Lord said. Do you know why you have no contentment? Do you know why you're frustrated? Me. And you know why I'm on you like this? It's not, oh, God, save us from the situation. We're not right. It's not, oh, the problem is so big. No, no, no. Your problems are small compared to the biggest problem you have is being in harmony and unity with God. And he said, I will come and break your heart from what breaks mine because if it's not producing a strong spiritual harvest in you, why would I enable you to keep going? Why would I allow you to follow and dis, uh, disrepair in your own spiritual house? Why would I let us have the gap go even wider because you're building idols in your life even though you think you're doing good? Yes, I will come and bother you. Yes, I will frustrate you if the end result is we get to be together forever. And that's what the Lord is saying. So this brings us to our next point. Do you trust God to be God in your life? More in specifically, do you trust God to be your personal God? who knows you personally and knows how to get you to do what you need to do, if and that that means frustrating you. Will you trust him in the frustration? If he's really your God, then you will. And that's what he's saying to Israel right now. He's saying to Israel, in your estimation, and let's say to Calvary Chapel, Sebastian, am I worthy of your praise? Am I worthy to be your God? Am I worthy enough to do all the things that you've asked me to do? You know, because if you don't, maybe you're in this particular position where you're not able to, you know, say this, I love God, I believe God, I trust God, I just can't let go of this part of my life for some reason. You know what the Lord would say to that? Matthew 6 on the screen. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. For the purposes of this sermon, you could say this, God and your career, or God and your whatever, fill in the blank. God has to come first. And understand that the, this particular sermon in this passage is saying to you right now, is God first? 
Does he take precedence? That brings us to our next point. What we do with our time, our talents, and our resources is the greatest thermometer of our faith in God. I'm going to just put this in perspective for you. If you're a person that may be holding on to money, this is not about money, but if you're holding on to money because you're afraid of what it might do to leave your hands and go into God's hand, even though it sounds crazy when you say it out loud, right? Think about this. When Peter needed tax to give temple tax, Jesus was like, yeah, go get it out of the fish's mouth. That's not a problem for me. Oh, we're in the desert. We're starving and we're thirsty. Oh, that's no problem. Get some manna. Get some, get some manna off the ground. I've taken care of that. Send some quail, chicken and waffles. Have a good time. No problem for me, but the calling has not changed. Well, we're thirsty. Touch the rock. Who could have seen that? Okay, everybody's out here starving, Jesus, listening to you. Guess what? What do we have? Five loaves, two fishes, fish tacos for everybody. Stop focusing on the situation and focus on the God of the situation. I'm fine. I'll take care of you. Focus on me. Don't make it the thing. Make me the thing. And so the Lord is saying right now, it's not only just a thermometer for you, it could be a thermostat. You might not even feel good about what God's doing, but God's saying, step out nonetheless. The calling has not changed. But God, I'm afraid, step out nonetheless, have faith, and watch what I can do because I can do what nobody else can do. And so we are here at this proverbial like split in the road, right? We're at the fork in the road. Either I trust God to be God or I don't. But if you are in this room and you want to make that dedication, we have a few points I want to put on the screen to help you see what the Lord has in store for you on how you can make a big change to begin again. This is how we do. After humble reflection, we're going to take a bold stamp, a bold stance for God. It's time to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's time. I'm going to bring you back to the first verse. John 17 said this, I have brought your glory on earth by finishing the work you have gave me to do. Is the glory of God working through you? It's not hard as you think it is other than this. All you have to do is be obedient to the calling. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be qualified. Your resume be terrible. You, wait, if, if you could see my resume, only reason I'm here is because the Lord has equipped me, not because I was qualified to walk up here. The Lord has qualified me through his spirit and through his work. Was Moses a great guy? No, he was, I can't even talk to the Pharaoh. That's okay, I'll be with you. You know, it just doesn't matter. Peter, I'm, I, I, I fly off the handle and have a problem with everybody. I cut people's ears off when things goes bad. But I will make you the, the rock and the confession of my church. It wasn't Peter. It was the Holy Spirit. And so how we are going to do this is we're going to build on the model of the Lord. So the first thing is I have a personal responsibility. I will build the house of the Lord, and it starts with me. It starts with me personally. It starts with you personally. I want you to look at the verse below that so you can see how I, I make that point or how the Holy Spirit makes that point. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? When this church service is over and we shut the lights and everybody goes home, church is not over. The temple is leaving with you. When you go home, you are the church. You are the church to your family. When you get in an argument with your neighbor, you are the church. When you go to work, you are the church. The spirit of the Lord dwells in your midst. So it is time for us to build the church. It's not four walls and a roof. It's us. You are the church and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? Next point. I will walk in unity with the Lord. You know, the only thing that we bring to our relationship with God is our obedience. He brings everything else. I want you to read it. John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Do you love Jesus? My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. 
What a verse. I think we kind of gloss over that verse a lot. I want to give it in perspective. If anybody knocks on my door and they are unannounced or not planned, do you know my wife goes into a tizzy? Dishes are in the sink. The ground has been vacuumed. The kids are like crazy. They're putting crayons on the wall. Like nobody can come in. But does that stop the person if they want to come in? Now imagine the knock on the door is it's God. You open up the door and the Lord says, can I come in? I'm in unity with you. You and I are one. I want to be in harmony. And Jackie comes up behind me. Who is it? It's God. Well, what does he want? Well, he's brought a suitcase with him. (laughs) And a U-Haul. I think he's here to stay. How much of your life needs to change? How much of your life needs to get right with the Lord? That's how you know that that's where the work of the Lord needs to begin with you is because God is coming up to take residence. Not that he's going to, he already has. So what are you going to do that now that God is one of your roommates? What are you going to do? Walk in unity with him. Get right before the Lord. Start living. There's things that you would probably immediately, if I told you God's going to be over at three o'clock today, you'd start going home and throwing stuff away. That's the work of the Lord. Next part is that we have to look at this. First Peter 2, 5. You yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's not Pastor Joey. That's not Pastor Craig. That's you. You are living stones. God is building the kingdom of God. Think of a castle. And God goes, I want to take you, and I want to take you, and I want to take you, and I want to build this castle up so that the world can see how amazing it is. You ever see the people's eyes, kids' eyes when they go to Disney and they see the castle for the first time? It's real. It's here. But are we not the fortress of the Lord? We are the living stones built up to be a spiritual house of worship. The world is looking and the glory of the Lord should be the why to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What do those spiritual sacrifices look like? Look at the next point. I will be content with what satisfies the Lord. Or even better yet, we could say, I will be content with what gives the Lord pleasure. You know what gives the Lord pleasure? When we obey. You know what gives the Lord a pleasure? When we listen and we hear. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to be right. He doesn't ask you to be as awesome as anybody else in this church. He asks you to know him and to know his will and to walk with him all your days, not be perfect. And what he's saying here in Galatians 5 is the same thing. So I say, walk by perfection. No, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What he's saying is fix your totem pole. Put Jesus first. Put the Spirit first. You should be in unity with the Spirit by your Spirit. Don't lead by your flesh and your impulses. Let the Lord who sees all and knows all be the one who gives you the direction. Why would I entrust my impulses versus a God who's infinite, who created this world? That's crazy, right? And then the next point is this. If I do all of those things, then the Lord will be first in all of my life. Romans uh, says in chapter 11 in the New Living Translation, for everything comes from him, and exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. Is your life intended for his glory? You know it is the moment that you were snatched out of hell to live in eternity forever. Don't we owe him everything? Name one thing he's held back from you. Name one thing that he's held back from you. Everything that he has, he pours into you. Don't we owe him everything? And so that's how I can say this. He's my all in all. God is my first And I've decided to trust him because he is who he says he is through his word. And so I have no reason to not trust him. And yes, my faith might be shaky. And yes, my faith might be small, but I'm going to follow him still the same because the calling hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, after all the persecution, after all the murder, after all the chasing, is God's church still thriving today? 
The more they squeeze around the world, the more that it flourishes. Who can stop the Lord? Why would God deliver you from sin and death just to stop now? That is your calling for 2024, to step out into the will of the Lord and do not let anything get in the way because who can stop the Lord in your life? So what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to do two things. We're going to get right with the Lord and we're going to honor the Lord with a song into the, to the new year to declare who he is in our life. But if you guys can, heads down, eyes closed, we're just going to pray. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity. If you're that person that's in this room right now and you've been frustrated and you've been struggling, maybe you love God or you just spiritually have stalled. Maybe you've gotten away. Maybe you've been afraid for 16 years like the Jews and you haven't stepped and followed him where he needed you to go because you've been afraid. Now's your time to make the commitment that the same God that would split the Red Sea, that the same God that would provide manna, that the same God that would raise Lazarus from the dead, that the same God who would make the blind see, the same God that said, let there be light and there was light, is the same God speaking to you now, saying you will become who he wants you to become if you trust him. Because he is God and we are not. And all we have to do is bring our obedience and our commitment. Lord, I trust you and I follow you. I haven't been good at it. I haven't been perfect. But if you need to make that commitment today, nobody looking around, just raise your hand. Just make it as a commitment to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Call on God and say, Lord, I commit to you. I commit to you. I've been afraid. I have been full of anxiety, but you are my God. And I'm ready to follow you. Lord, forgive us. We know you have and lead us in the ways everlasting. And we trust you in all that you do. And 2024, we dedicate this world to you. We dedicate our life to you. We dedicate our time to you. You are everything. You are our all in all. We are nothing without you. What is God without heaven? There is no heaven. What is Christ without, not in our life? We are not saved. We are nothing. We need you in our hearts. Take up residence. Take over my life. I love you. And I know you love me. In Jesus' holy name, amen.